This is Murilo Maeda, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. Hey guys, I hope you've been having an awesome first couple of weeks of 2020. This week's episode is a conversation with Dr. Murilo Maeda, who's the Extension Cotton Specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service in Lubbock. He's originally from Brazil and grew up around cotton farming down there, and I've really been fascinated by farming in Brazil for a while, so I had a lot of questions built up that I wanted to get his perspective on. Let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. So my name is Murilo Maeda. Um, I'm originally from Brazil, and I'm currently the uh, an assistant professor in extension cotton specialist for Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service here in Lubbock. Could you talk a little bit about where you grew up, um, and did you come from a farming family? Yes, I I did. Yes, so um, I uh, I actually was born in São Paulo, uh, São Paulo city. Um, that's the the capital of São Paulo state. But I was just born there because my mom's family is from São Paulo, and then right after that I moved uh, to Itumbiara uh, in the state of Goiás, which is a fairly a uh, small little town, uh, probably at the time around 60,000 people or so, which, you know, it's a fairly small uh, city for our, our standards. And then I, I grew up there pretty much until I was about 13 or 14 years old. Uh, from there, I went back to um, Sao Paulo for, for high school. Um, Spent a couple of years there and then uh, moved to Christchurch, New Zealand. I uh, lived there for for a year, doing my essentially my last year of high school. And then came by the time I came back to Brazil, my parents had moved from, they were in Mato Grosso, Cuiabá, uh, Mato Grosso State, and they moved from there to Uberlândia, which is uh, in the southeast, uh, Minas Gerais State. So whenever I came back from... Um, New Zealand, my parents were in Uberlandia, and uh, so that's where I moved back uh, to. And that's where I spent probably about nine or ten years before I came to the United States. And that's where I uh, finished my high school and did my undergraduate degree in biology. After that, in 2010, I moved to College Station uh, to start my master's degree. Originally, my intentions were to um, come to the United States, uh, get my master's degree, work on my PhD, and then head back home. So I started my master's in 2010. I actually conducted my research work in Corpus Christi, my coursework in College Station. So I finished that in 2012. Um, My major professor at the time, Dr. Tom Cotton, offered me a, a PhD assistantship to work under under his direction on a on a PhD program. So I started that in 2012 and finished it in 2015. So how did the operation that you grew up around work? About how big was it? Um, my my family. Uh, farming operation was actually fairly extensive. Uh, by the early 2000s, the family was farming about 450,000 acres uh, across four different states uh, in Brazil. And 
the operation was, and it had always been uh, focused on cotton. Um, and so half of that was cotton, and the other half was rotation with corn and, and soybeans. So you can imagine that at you know any given year they were farming about 200, 230,000 acres of, of cotton. So That's crazy. Whenever you came here and whenever you started doing research here, did you notice any really big differences other than just the size of the operations between cotton farming in Brazil and cotton farming here? I think there is there is a lot of similarities um, as far as weather uh, goes. If we're looking at the main cotton growing regions in Brazil, say Mato Grosso and Bahia State, uh, which we get fairly good uh, rainfall, but if we're comparing that to say East and South Texas, um, to me, I've always known that that West Texas was kind of a place of its own, and is very different from just about anywhere else. And and so you cannot really compare uh, Brazil with West Texas. Uh, West Texas is is a place of its own for sure. One of the biggest things that that I always seem to to come up is the whole WTO deal. And oh, so. Right. And so, you know, and I like to, yeah, I usually like to, to sort of touch on that a little bit. Um, and so a couple of years back, uh, it's probably more than a decade now, but uh, Brazil moved in action against the United States uh, when, they, when they came into the global market of cotton. And what they were claiming was that the United States was providing subsidies to their producers um, that was giving them uh, an advantage, an economic advantage, and putting in everybody else uh, at a disadvantage to compete in the global market. And and so that's that's a you know it's a fact. It happened. Brazil moved that action against the United States. They won. The WTO imposed sanctions against the United States to where they're not supposed to provide subsidies anymore. And, you know, I know that that caused hardship for producers here in the United States. And a lot of people look at it like, you know, the Brazilians were trying to mess with us over here. And, you know, what I like to say is that I'm not saying that everybody there is ignorant to what was going on, but... A lot of people, just like I did not know how different and how challenging the conditions are here in West Texas, a lot of people there don't know either, okay? And so while a lot of people take the stand of saying, you know, they were just trying to screw us or, or something like that, that was not the case to everybody. You know, there is there are families and people that make their living off the land just like we have people over here, right? And, you know, a lot of people, again, don't know exactly what the conditions and the scenario is over here, so they're just trying to do what they think is best for them, which, again, I'm not saying is, is right again, uh, because they should have uh, looked into it and see what the impact might be on other people. But... You know, I guess my point here is just that, you know, folks over there, they're not our enemies over here. They're just trying to make a living 
um, off the land, just like we have people over here trying to, to live off the land as well. And so I think that's, you know, it's something I, I know it's, it's kind of a, kind of a, a hard subject to, to, to talk about, but I, you know, I just like to, to make sure that people understand that it happened. Yes. It, 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 um, it caused hardship for people here. I understand that, but it was not done with that intention. Is is I guess is my point. Mm-hmm. It, it was done because they were looking for better conditions for them, which is again is is understandable. Um, and then you know, on that also is uh, in this position that I'm in today, I do have sometimes the opportunity to visit with producers and the producer leadership in Brazil. And one of the things I did this this past summer is I had um, a group, or I, I, I heard that there was a group coming into Lubbock uh, to visit um, farms and visit um, the FBRI and, and everything. And I set up a, a meeting with them and uh, one of our producers here uh, down in Terry County so he could, so we could talk to them about what the conditions were. So we actually had them standing in the field uh, looking at some dryland cotton, which you can imagine, uh, I think that was around early August or mid-August or something like that. So you can imagine it was dry and hot and that crop did not look very happy. <laughs> so... You know, and it was it was it was just very satisfying to me that by the time they left, they were all saying, "I had no idea that these guys went through this." And so it's it's again to me, it's just another way of educating people about what this region is all about. Wow, that's awesome. Have you noticed any differences in the way that? West Texas farmers and Brazilian farmers deal with things like personality differences in the way that they run their operations or the things that they consider making input decisions. So, and and this was also a big shock for them because um, Brazil, because of it being a developing country, labor is cheap, which is not the case here. And so what happens is the farmers and the guys that, just as an example, the folks that were visiting here that I just telling you about, none of those guys actually go on a tractor and plant their crops, manage it, harvest it. it, They all hire people to do it, which is very, very different from what we see here in West Texas. Mm -hmm. So if you have a farmer standing in front of you, I mean, he's the one that is day in and day out in that field, uh, planting, managing it, many, making decisions and, and this sort of thing. And so in that sense, it's, it's, it's very different. How are a lot of the operations in Brazil structured? How does that work? Yeah, so usually, you know, uh, uh, and I'm just going to put a number here. I don't know how accurate that might be, but, you know, we, 
a big farmer there in Brazil might be farming about a hundred thousand acres somewhere in there the big ones and usually what they'll have is they'll have a crew of agronomists uh, they might have a head agronomist but they might have a few of them that are actually driving um, taking care of the farms so they're you know and they will, and those agronomists will have a set of people that work for them too so scouts that might be traveling from field to field every day uh, checking for pests for diseases and they will come back at the end of the day and re report that to the agronomist and the agronomist make the decision on on how he's going to act on those um, on those numbers if you will and so again you know, a farmer in Brazil is different from a farmer in the United States. A farmer in Brazil has a structure of people that work under him or for him that provide all the technical support and the day-in, day-out labor, whereas a, a farmer here in the United States, for the most part, he's the one that's driving out to the field, checking the fields, making the decision of whether or not he needs to irrigate that crop or make an insecticide application or fertilize it or, or you know, day in, day out uh, management decisions are for the most part done by the farmers here. That makes sense. What are some of your observations about the year that we had? Yeah, well, I think... Uh, to you know, sort of summarize it in one word, it was a challenging year for sure. So starting off at planting season, everything was looking pretty good. Everybody was was excited because I think we had good moisture or decent moisture anyway, uh, pretty much all around the region, which we hadn't had in in a in a couple of years. Uh, let's put it that way. And so coming into planting, everybody was excited, um, went out and, and started planting, everything went fairly smooth. I think there was, there was um, some regions, especially west of Lubbock and then pointing to the northeast, uh, Texas Panhandle, that got quite a bit of rain in that planting uh, season time frame, but they also got a whole bunch of hail with it. And so we know that... Um, I don't know, maybe 60, 65% of that um, area north of I-40 uh, that was supposed to go into cotton didn't, didn't end up going into cotton this year because of uh, how wet they were. Um, so moving on after we got the crop uh, pretty well established, um, it turned pretty dry. So uh, again, you know, if we look at a lot of the, the, the areas uh, south, in kind of southeast of Lubbock, they didn't uh, they didn't get any rain pretty much after after planting, and so you know we had a lot of the uh, the dry land crop that that didn't make it through. Um, there were some that made it all the way here to uh, the end of the year, but they're now uh, being turned into insurance. It, it has been sort of a, a disappointing year. Uh, let's let's put it this way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, so I read an article the other day. It was talking about uh, cotton farming in Brazil. And I I don't know if this is true now. I don't know how old the article was. But it said that 20 farming operations own like 50 to 70% of the farmland. Is that is that about right? Yeah, so, so uh, you know, one of the, one of the biggest differences that, that we have 
um, you know, operation-wise in agriculture between the United States and Brazil is that in Brazil we do not have crop insurance like we do over here. And so you can imagine that working with cotton is, is a fairly high input um, crop that you can invest a lot of money into that crop. And if something happens, whether it's weather related or pest related or disease or whatever it is, that you can essentially lose a lot of money in, in one year. And so a lot of what uh, had been happening in Brazil for the past um, few decades is, you know, the larger farmers, they kept getting bigger and the smaller farmers were essentially uh, disappearing. And so, you know, what you're mentioning is, is right. It, it has been happening uh, in, the, in the past several years. I think a lot of people here don't really understand what's been going on with the Amazon and the farmland and the Brazilian president. Can you summarize that in a way that maybe we would understand? Yeah, so it's, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, I think there is a couple of things uh, going on. Um, You know, the past several years, I want to say, Brazil hasn't been doing real well um, as far as politics and economics uh, go. Um, So, you know, Brazil is a great place. And I mean, I love I love that country. I love its people. But, you know, we need to be realistic here. And we all know that there is a lot of corruption going on uh, in the country at very, very, very high levels. And so, you know, a lot of that gets politicized um, a lot. You know, one of the perhaps one of the recent um, um, issues uh, we could say that that popped up here not too long ago that probably most people will remember is, you know, when folks were talking about the fires that were going on uh, in the Amazon. And so that time of year is is very hot, very dry in Brazil. And it's not that uncommon to have uh, fires breaking out everywhere. And, you know, obviously when, when you got uh, a lot of dry biomass and you got fire, and wind to go with it is not really that easy to go and, and put that fire out. And so I know a lot of people at the time were making comments that, you know, Brazil was destroying the the, the Amazon forest for either cattle or agriculture, and, and it, that's not correct. So it, uh, it, again, you know, in my point of view, there was, it was, it was an issue that was being politicized mm-hmm. because I guess there are some people that are not um, in favor of our current president, but I do not think that that was uh, the case. It was, you know, if you, yeah, as a matter of fact, if you go back and look at the historic data, the number of fires we had going at that point in time was about average of what we usually have on a regular year. Okay, yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't. I didn't what are the main farming regions in Brazil? And you were talking about double double cropping. So how does that work? About what time period do you have to plant one crop to harvest it and then you plant the next one? I think it, it changes, you know, by region just like it does over here. Now that, you know, one of the biggest differences, again, because we don't have um, access to crop insurance in Brazil, we're not limited to um, one crop per season. 
And so a lot of people are, do, are doing double cropping. So they'll come in with this time of year when we're uh, harvesting cotton around here, uh, they're planting cotton. Um, and so you can imagine that, you know, around what, June, June, July or somewhere in there, they're starting to harvest cotton and they usually go with soybeans and corn right behind it. And so they just keep that, that cycle going. And so that's essentially how it works. But if you look at how Brazil is, is, is sort of divided now, if you go south to the southernmost uh, uh, tip of Brazil where it starts to taper down a little bit, that's mostly soybean uh, country out there. And then as you start moving north a little bit to what we call sort of the southeast region of Brazil, there is quite a bit of um, uh, um, sugarcane there now. It used to be, um, there used to be a lot of cotton there. There's some citrus still, but it's mostly uh, becoming uh, a sugarcane country now. And then as you move further north, that's where we start having the cotton. Uh, so we have a, a lot of cotton, soybean, corn, and sorghum over there. So you did a lot of your research around Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. Whenever you moved here, were you already familiar with how West Texas was, or was that kind of a, a big shock doing research down there and then coming up here? Yeah, so that's that's a, actually a very good question. Um, you know, uh, going to school uh, in College Station, I actually had the opportunity to, to meet Dr. Lewis at the time. She was also a, a PhD student at Texas A&M. Um, her husband, uh, Clay Lewis, who today farms in Terry County, um, he worked for my main advisor as his uh, research assistant. And so I got to meet him uh, there at the time as well. And, you know, always visiting with, with them, they always said, you know, West Texas is different. You know, that's a different place. And you can, you sort of have, you know, the idea that, okay, it's, it's, it's probably different. Um, but the extent of how different it is from other regions, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really realize until I actually got here. And, and so when I got here, you know, because cotton is cotton no matter where you are. But, you know, the way it's just, it just amazed me how harsh and challenging the weather conditions are around here. Uh, even for cotton that we know is, is a very, is a very, uh, a very tough crop, let's say. And so that was a big shock to me to come over here, you know, and, and see people talking about sand fighting and, and all of that. So Yeah, I bet that, that was different. Yeah, definitely very different, yes. What are some of the things you do day to day in your job? One of the main things that we do is try to find out what are the challenges that our farmers here in the region are facing. And as you can imagine, um, they're very different from if you're looking at a place south of Lubbock to a place that might be north of Amarillo, for example. And so what we need to do on a day-to-day basis is try to find out what are the challenges that our growers are facing and how can we set up either applied research experiments or, um, you know, whatever we need to do to find them answers 
so we do work with our industry partners. Uh, we work with our research faculty. We work with folks in, in College Station and other universities to try and find our growers those, those answers. Do you think there's anything that farmers in West Texas versus Brazil could learn from each other? Or do you think the environments are just so different you each have to manage it the way that you know? I think there is always room for learning uh, new things and, and, you know, having uh, having a a a mindset of always improving, always increasing your efficiency, but at the same time, you know something that again, once I came over here, I started to realize is that a lot of people overlook the regional differences, and that is a big deal. That is a big deal. Even you know when we're talking here in our region, you can go from one side of the county to another side of the county. And be completely different. You have different soil types. You have different access to water. You might even have differences in in rainfall. And so, you know, those those uh, regional differences they have to be accounted for, no matter what. What excites you about the job you're in now? Since you were talking about West Texas being so different, what is your favorite part of doing what you do now? I think it's just you know the opportunity to have an impact. Um, you know, if there's something I didn't mention about my my um, family's history and my family operation is that, yes, in the early 2000s, the family, uh, it was a family company, a family business. They were farming about 450,000 acres. But today, I do not have anybody in my family that farms an acre. So everybody uh, is out of farming, uh, pretty much. Um, Dad still works on doing custom work, uh, custom harvest, and, and preparing land and that sort of stuff. But he, he no longer farms. And so, to me, you know, I have a personal um, link with farmers and with agriculture. If I think about my, uh, my history, uh, everything that I own, if I'm here today, you know, I owe it to cotton. It's what brought me over here. It's what kept me over here. And, you know, again, the, the, the thing that I enjoy the most about my job is actually two things. The first one is, is just the opportunity to work with our farmers here in West Texas and make a difference. Right, so that's to me is is I can put a price on it. It's just having, you know, having the opportunity to make someone's life better. It's there is no price to that. And then the second one is, you know, just get getting the opportunity to interact with folks around here. It's. Again, you know, we talk about how West Texas is different, and even the people here are different for me. It's, it's, you know, some, it's a bunch of hardworking, good people. So I just I enjoy it. I enjoy the opportunity to, to um, interact with them, and I enjoy the, the, the opportunity to maybe uh, make a difference and make their lives better. 
And that's it for this week. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to check back soon for another episode about the people of the plains. I don't know the answer.